Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Good morning again. If you'll open your Bibles to 1 Peter, chapter 2, we're going to finish out the chapter this morning. But this morning, I'm going to preach on a particular passage of Scripture that uh, I'm going to be quite honest with you, I don't particularly like. And my guess is that if most of you are completely honest, you probably don't like it either because it flies in the face of our natural tendencies as human beings. So it's kind of God calling us out and saying, you better do this. I need you to do this. And so we're going to explore that a little bit this morning. Now... Submission is not a natural response for most people. You would probably agree with me. If it is certainly not something that is valued in our world where hanging on to one's uh, rights seems to be one of the highest things of importance and where it has become quite um, acceptable and Uh, even fashionable to rebel against and all forms of authority. It just seems that there is no respect anymore. There is no uh, regards to those who are in power, no regards to those who are um, leading us. And there are good reasons to believe that and to think that. I know a lot of times we, we look at those who are in leadership and we don't respect them because they don't respect the position. Well, what does God have to say about that? Are we, are we able to just say, okay, well, they don't respect the position, so therefore I don't need to respect the person? Well, God says something entirely different, okay? Unfortunately, as disciples of Jesus, we're not immune to being influenced by our culture's view of submission. So there is a natural tendency for us to resist the entire idea, and sometimes quite openly and sometimes in much more subtle ways. Would you agree with me there? Now, as we continue our study of the book of 1 Peter, we're going to come to a section of Peter's letter where the idea of submission is going to be the certain and central theme in which we are at this morning. Um, We're going to deal with how we are to submit to those in authority in regards to government and in our jobs. And then we're going to talk about later on the submission in the marriage relationship. But like I said, we're going to turn our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. And even though I included verses 11 and 12 last week, that's where we're going to begin this morning. So I'm going to begin in verse 11. So if you turn there, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme 
or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and to live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So this morning, I want us to begin by summarizing Peter's main idea here, and then we'll proceed to look at some of the important aspects of that idea. So here's how we can summarize the main theme of this passage. Jesus saved us through his submission so that we can serve him through our submission. So I don't really have a, as you can see in your bulletin there, I don't have a three-point outline of this passage, complete with alliteration or rhyming as you would see in some sermons. Instead, I'm going to share just some of the important truths about biblical submission that we can draw from this passage. Also, I do know that I'm primarily going to focus on the submission towards governmental authorities. Ooh, oh, he's bringing politics in. Yeah, buckle up. Because I had to. This was something that spoke to me very clearly. So we need to know these important truths about biblical submission. And first, being a citizen of heaven, being a citizen of heaven does not relieve us of our responsibility to submit to earthly authority. And again, we might say, well, that's not fair. Our earthly authorities have no idea what they're doing. Well, that may be the case, but God says to respect all authority. All authority. In verse 11, Peter reminds his readers, and he reminds us, that we are sojourners and exiles in this world. And that truth may very well lead us to think that since we're citizens of heaven, rather than citizens of this world, 
then we are to therefore, or we therefore have no responsibility to submit to the authority of this world. But I submit to you this morning that Peter puts that idea to rest immediately when he commands his readers to be subject to every human institution. And that idea really shouldn't come as a surprise to us because if any of us were to, let's say, take a vacation and we drove down to Mexico and we're in their country, while we are not citizens of that country, we are still to submit to their laws. And if we don't submit to those laws, there are some serious consequences. But the same thing is true for us spiritually. Although we are citizens of heaven, as long as we remain here on earth, we must submit to the man-made laws of our government. I know, oh, boo, ah. But this is what God is telling us to do. And as we'll see this morning, there is one narrow exception to that general rule. But frankly, that exception probably occurs much less frequently than you would probably think. Secondly, Jesus is to be our example of what it means to submit biblically. So the structure of this passage is quite instructive for us. The entire section from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through chapter 3, verse 7 deals directly with the idea of submission. And right in the middle of that section, Peter writes that the suffering of Jesus is to be our example to demonstrate, uh, demonstrate both why submission is required in our lives and how we are to go about doing that. So it's very explicit there of what we're supposed to do, why we're supposed to do it, even in the midst of our own feelings of why we should or should not do these things. So when Jesus came into this world, even though he was the one who created the world and every form of authority that existed here on earth, he willingly submitted himself to human authority. As a child, he submitted to the authority of his parents. And as an adult, he submitted to the authority of the governmental authorities, even though he certainly had the ability and power to completely overthrow those governments had he desired to do so. But he did not do that. And even when he suffered greatly and unjustly at the hands of those earthly authorities, he did not rebel. He did not rebel. Instead, he entrusted himself to the Father. He entrusted himself to the Father. And as a result of his submission, we have the ability to be reconciled to God and live a life of righteousness. Because of Jesus Christ's example of adhering to those authorities, even though he justly had the right not to, he did for our sake. He did so that we could experience true righteousness. And that is certainly not the way the world naturally submits to authority. But we, as disciples of Jesus, we are called to follow his example. 
So as we discuss what it means to submit this morning, we need to keep the example of Jesus before us. And while we benefit personally from our submission, the main purpose of submission is not to glorify oneself, but it is to glorify God. Peter doesn't really address it here, but elsewhere in scripture, we see that God places people under earthly authority for our own good. And some of you might be saying, well, given the current political climate, how is this good for us? How is all of this good for us? It's good for us because God has placed it to be so. We must untrust ourselves to the example of Jesus Christ. We must entrust ourselves to the will of our Lord. So Peter makes it very clear in his letter here that our submission is not about us at all. It's about giving glory to God. We see that explicitly in verse 12, if you look there now. And Peter tells his readers that the reason for keeping their conduct honorable here, as you'll read, we keep our conduct clear here on earth so that others would see that behavior and glorify God. And then he goes on to describe how submission to earthly authority is a crucial aspect of that kind of conduct. He keeps bringing everything back to God. In verse 13, the reason we are to submit is for the Lord's sake. In verse 15, we see that this kind of submission is the will of God. For those of you who are searching for God's will in your life, this would be a good place to start since this is one of the few places in Scripture we, where we are told explicitly what God's will is for us. In verse 16, we find that when we submit, we are living as servants of God. Verse 19, we are told to be mindful of God. And then in verse 20, we see that suffering as a result of our submission is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And I especially want to call your attention this morning to verse 15, where Peter writes that when we submit to governmental authorities, we put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The word translated ignorance there doesn't just mean a lack of knowledge. No, it also means to the willful, the hostile rejection of the truth, which so often the world will tell you that's the way we should react. Just reject it. If it doesn't work for you, that's okay. Just do what works for you. But God is telling us we need to get away from that. And what Peter points here is that we are never going to silence the hostility. We're never going to win people over to Jesus Christ by winning some political argument or advancing some cause. No. Rather, we do that by submitting to the governmental authority. And believe me, between you and I, I struggle with this too. I struggle with this. Even though many of his followers certainly wanted him to be, Jesus never openly was hostile towards those authorities. And in spite of the fact that they certainly treated him 
and his followers with great disdain. You see, Jesus went out of his way not to engage in political controversies because he understood that doing so would have sidetracked him from his task of seeking and saving the lost, which I think distracts many Christians today. We get caught up in the um, legality of things and we forget about the word of God. We forget about what we are to submit to and to understand what God's will is for us. And see, and then in verse 17, we find four commands that all deal with the heart attitude because I know that our attitude towards these things aren't always the best that they should be, me included. But we have to have biblical submission because it is a matter of the heart. And most of us have probably heard of the little boy whose mother kept insisting that he sit down in his high chair. He finally unlocked his knees and plopped down into the chair and exclaimed, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm still standing on the inside. As to say, ha ha, I gotcha, right? But this is not the kind of submission that Peter is describing here. Peter describes the kind of heart attitude that we are to have in verse 16. There is a great paradox here. Although we have been freed from slavery to all human institutions through Jesus, he calls us to to submit willingly and freely to those same institutions for his sake. And then in verse 17, we find these four commands that I talked about. He talks about honoring everyone, even if they are not honorable. Love the brotherhood, even if they are not lovable. We are to fear God and honor the emperor. And this is the most amazing of the four commands, considering that the emperor at the time was Nero, who would eventually kill both Paul and Peter. So it's pretty interesting. But here's a pretty good test to determine how well you're doing in this area. You ready? Do you submit to the authorities because you're afraid you'll get caught? Or do you do it so that you submit yourselves and honor Jesus? Let me get even more practical now. And because I know I... I think I'm preaching to myself now. But do you obey the speed limit when you drive for Jesus' sake? Or because you're afraid of getting a ticket? Have you ever wondered that? I'm driving the speed limit because I'm supposed to submit to authority. And this is what God has called me to do. Do I think when I get in that car, I'm driving for Jesus' sake? I'd like to tell you yes, but that's not the forefront of my mind when I get into a car. I'm thinking about where's my destination? Where am I going? How am I going to get there? What roads are closed? Is it raining? Is it, uh, am I late? I'm not doing it for the sake of Jesus when God has certainly called us to do so. Christians shouldn't own a radar detector since they're sole purpose of such items 
is merely to keep someone from getting caught while they're breaking the law. Just this last week, I was driving home in a construction zone, and even though the majority of the construction is done, the seed limit was 35 miles an hour. And I looked down, and I was going 45. And I will admit, I was not doing anything unsafe, but I was not submitting to authority. And, of course, I wasn't the only one going 45 miles an hour because I had someone pass me at 60 miles per hour. But even so, um, be careful what we do and what we display. And the fact that the person that was going 60 miles an hour past me had the Jesus fish on the back of their car... And I was going 45, and I have similar stickers on my truck. But what kind of example am I, are we setting by doing that? That I submit to authority when someone's looking? Or do I submit to authority when it is called to do so? And that is all the time. We need to be really careful about how we present ourselves. Number five. Every really does mean every. I've seen people go through all kinds of mental gymnastics and try to prove that when Peter writes every human institution in verse 13, he really doesn't mean every. I've seen people claim that in the United States, that the people are the government and therefore were somehow exempt from the command to submit to our government authorities. There is some truth to that. But there's also the God's truth that reveals that we are to submit to authority. I've seen others claim that Peter only meant good and just governments, which makes no sense whatsoever because when you consider that the Roman government in place at that time was evil and hostile to Christians. But the language here is very clear. Peter intentionally used the word every here, and the word is used is not ambiguous, nor does it have any other possible meanings. And Peter doesn't provide us with any exceptions here, which he certainly could have, if he wanted to. Peter further confirms that every means every when he writes that servants are to submit to their masters even if they are unjust and when he cites the example of Jesus. Jesus is our example. And not to go into cliches with you, but what would Jesus do? What would he do? What would he have us do? Are we willing to submit fully? Are we willing to entrust ourselves to the Father? Are we willing to submit everything and everything about us? It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. 
Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. It has been explicitly written out for us. And and again, the language in Romans 13 is again unequivocal. There is no authority except from God. And we don't have time to go further into that point, but throughout scripture we have examples of ungodly and evil governments and rulers that God uses to accomplish his purpose. I think too often we look at our current state or situation and we assume that this is not of God or that um, this is of only of man. Yes, it is of man. But God has proceeded to do this, I think, to teach us something. Um, been meeting with someone lately and uh, a very popular theme that comes up is teachable moments. And God places these teachable moments in front of us, not to show his authority or show his power. He does it so that we can learn something from it. And then in turn, we can turn around and say, hey, you know what, brother? I've gone through the same thing. This is what God has to say. Let's work at this together. You see, because God is our ultimate Authority, And this idea is expressed by Peter with his command to fear God in verse 17. While our government officials deserve appropriate honor, they are not on the same level as God. So while we are to honor other men, we are only to fear God. And this concept is also implied in verse 13 when Peter uses the phrase human institution. The word institution there literally means creation. And everywhere else it is used in the Bible, it refers to God's creation. So while no authority exists except that which comes from God, our governments, regardless of their form, are merely human creations and that means they are not absolutely sovereign like God is. We are not, this is not our home. But in the meantime, we are here for a purpose. God has placed us here for a reason. And you should also know that the implication here is that there may be some infrequent occasions where the command to fear God must take precedence over the command to honor our governmental officials. Understand that. There are exceptions. However, it's, we have to be very careful here because I want you to pay close attention to um, the wording here and how God has placed us in this circumstance and how to understand it. When our government requires us to do something that would violate the clear commands in the Bible, we must choose to fear and obey God rather than honor men. This is the only exception he gives. But let me be really clear here. While we may be rightly troubled over laws that permit 
and which do not command others to do wrong, that does not give us the right to selectively disobey other laws, like driving the speed limit, right? And we have a lot of examples of those kinds of laws in our country. For instance, the law permits women to kill their unborn children, but it does not force or compel any Christian to do that. That does not give any Christian the right to kill abortion doctors or bomb abortion clinics. What it does permit us to do is to submit ourselves to the will of God. To understand why we may not understand why these things happen, why these things take place. It is not within our authority to take that action. It is within our right to submit to God and allow him to step in and take care of those things. The Supreme Court has ruled that homosexual couples must be permitted to marry. But it does not force Christians to enter into a homosexual marriage. So we can't use our disapproval of that decision to justify violating another law, like refusing to pay our taxes. Now, don't get me wrong. We do not believe in these things because God has explicitly said that these things are not right. And so that's what we submit to. We don't submit to our feelings We don't submit to the knowledge that has been provided by people who (laughs) clearly don't know what they're talking about. But we have a Lord and Savior who does know. We have a Lord and Savior that still reigns, who still rules, and still drives us to what we are to be if we only submit to him. Peter certainly understood this principle as a result of his personal experience. When the apostles were brought before the Sanhedrin and commanded not to preach about Jesus, Peter and John answered like this. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. When they continued to preach Jesus, the apostles were arrested. But an angel of the Lord freed them from prison, and they entered the temple and began to preach about Jesus again. When they were brought back before the council again and reprimanded for not obeying their earlier command, Peter and the other apostles responded with these words, We must obey God rather than men. So Peter was clearly familiar with the one possible exception to the command to submit to the governing forces or authorities. And yet he did not choose to mention it all here in this letter. And that is likely because he didn't want an infrequent exception to draw away from the main purpose. The other thing we need to keep in mind here is that our hope is in God alone and not in any politician, not in any governmental authority, nor pastor, nor anybody. Our our hope is in God, only in God. In fact, I think we have an obligation to vote for these things and are most likely in our eyes to uphold biblical principles. 
that's where we allow God to step in. There's only so much that we can do as human beings. And believe me, if I'm being honest with you, there's a lot that I would change too. But first and foremost, I have to submit myself to the will of God. First and foremost, you must submit yourself to God. I'm thankful that we do at least have a few people in place that still cling to these concepts and these principles and to the gospel of truth. But I also know that while my hope is not in any politician or no matter how godly that person might be, I'll admit that it's taken me a while to learn this lesson. And I am still learning this lesson. Point example, previous elections for president, I always pick the wrong guy. Ask my wife. I always pick the wrong guy. I, I see him or you know, the person going for that authority position, uh, they present a good case. And they have the, uh, quite honestly, they pulled the wool over my eyes too. And then I hear about it. You voted for so-and-so. But the point is, and my final point, is my submission or our submission will often lead to suffering. In this passage, Peter makes it clear that our submission sometimes means that we will suffer unjustly. But when we do that and we endure, it is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, certainly Jesus experienced suffering as a result of his submission. But instead of rebelling or fighting back, he chose to endure that suffering and trust that his father would eventually make things right. We would do well to also follow that example. So, so far we've seen that Jesus saved us through his submission so that we could serve him through our submission. And up to this point, I've used a couple of examples. Much of what we've talked about is pretty theoretical. So, what practical steps can we take to put the things that we've learned into practice in our lives? Obviously, there's a lot of uh, possible ways to apply this principle in our lives, but let me leave you with just three that seem to be the most critical. First, we must teach and model submission to our children. The idea of submission to authority begins in the Bible with the command to honor our fathers and mothers. And certainly the idea of honoring our parents includes submitting to their authority. That means that learning to submit in the way we have discussed today begins in the home. So as parents and grandparents and as the church, we have a responsibility to teach our children the importance of submission to authority and even more important, to model that for them. When I see the way that many adults, including those who claim to be Christians, constantly disrespect and fail to submit to those positions of authority, I'm not surprised 
that we have a whole generation of children who rebel against authority at every level. We can change this. But we have to submit fully. If we don't respect and honor our own parents, don't be surprised when the children rebel against authority. The thing we need to do, and while it's difficult for some of us to muster up the energy to do so, we must pray for authority. We must pray for those in those positions. Because it's one of the things we all know that we are supposed to do, but we just aren't very consistent in doing it. And I will confess to you that is certainly true in my life. I need to pray more. I need to pray for these individuals. Not that I'm going to change them, but I'm going to pray for the fact that God's going to intervene and speak to them. I got to allow God to do his job. I am not God, and I certainly don't want to be God. But I certainly want to submit to his will. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We do that because it's good in the sight of God. We do that for our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to know the knowledge of truth. I wonder how much more things would be different if we would submit to that fully. And then finally, we need to treat those in authority with respect even when we disagree. And believe me, there's a lot of disagreement on my end. I will make no secret of that. But even if we don't agree, we submit because that's for God's sake, not my own, not for my own. We live in a time and a place where many of our leaders hold some very immoral beliefs. And so as I mentioned earlier, I am not suggesting that we ought to be absent from the political process, but we do need to speak up for biblical principles and stand against those who would openly advocate positions that violate the scriptures. But when we do that, we have to do that with respect. Paul gives us some good guidelines in his letter to Titus. Remember and to remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Now we're going to explore this a little more in the weeks to come. But there are some ways we can apply this principle. First of all, we should address these authorities by respecting and respectfully using their titles rather than resort to calling them by names. I'm guilty there. And when we do disagree on an issue, we should unapologetically keep the focus on what the Bible says without personal attacks on those who might hold opposing views. Because Jesus saved us through his submission, 
so that we could serve him through our submission. I don't believe that we're studying this passage by coincidence or by accident. I believe that in the midst of this particular season that we're in, God is challenging all of us to take a step back and to submit ourselves in our own natural tendencies to the clear teaching of his word. And it's not easy. It's certainly not easy. But for the Lord's sake, it is certainly necessary. Amen? Amen. Dave, come and lead us. Let's stand together. Praise God Heavenly Father, as we leave here this morning, I pray that you open our hearts, our eyes, and our ears to the opportunities that you will place before us to share with others the gospel of truth, to allow them to see you through us, through our example. Lord, sometimes even as Christians, we're not the best examples, but when we fully submit to you and to the will of that you have placed before us, only then can they see you. So I pray that you will give us a heart and a compassion to be those individuals who will submit to authority and to submit to your authority and that you will get the glory. Thank you for our time here this morning. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the blessings. And it's in your name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.